This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik by Progress. Hello and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me today is my co-host, Brian Rinaldi. How you doing, Brian? Doing great, Ed. How are you? Great. Uh, just coming back from travel again. I know you are as well. So yep. let's kick things off and talk about that a little bit. So where have you been, Brian? What were you up to? I was in San Francisco at the Google Chrome Developer Summit. Um, this is a Google-hosted event. Uh, pretty much all the speakers, except I think one, were from Google. Uh, work, you know, a lot, most of them work on the Chrome team, and they were talking a lot about, uh, you know, uh, web development stuff, but very focused on mobile web. Uh, and the the key thing there was uh, Google is pushing mobile web performance as like the the key thing that developers need to work on right now. Um, and their solutions to that are are, are the First, primarily progressive web apps, and then secondarily AMP. Uh, so the, a lot of the sessions were about progressive web apps and AMP. So for folks that might not know what progressive web apps are, give us a rundown. So progressive web apps basically uses a couple of, of new technologies that allow you to then, say, save a web page to your home screen. And then it has some offline capabilities, so you can use it offline. It loads up really fast. Um, so it functions, it, it actually runs without, like Chrome, in a Chromeless window. So it looks like a web, uh, like an, um, an app, an App Store app, and functions in, in many ways like an App Store app in that you can have offline access um, and the way it loads up really quickly. Um, but it's actually all uh, a web page. So currently it only works on Android, but uh, they're hoping to push that further, obviously. That's a good thing you cleared that up. When you said progressive web app, I pictured an application that would protest the election. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's not a Bernie <laughs> Sanders application. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and so an AMP is accelerated mobile pages and... So AMP is more like a publishing thing. So think of like Facebook's, um, what's their technology that they pull in the news and so that it loads really fast. Um, AMP is, is Google's, uh, you know, uh, alternative technology that basically like if you go search a Google search, you'll often see pages marked as AMP. And when you click those, it loads blazing fast because it's pre-cached a ton of stuff. And um, so... It's, it's a really nice way to kind of get people on your page and remove that barrier uh, to like of the page loading because they found that mobile web pages like uh, I think they said the average web page takes like 19 seconds to load but that most you start losing people after about three seconds and by I can't remember what it was like 11 seconds or something like that most pretty much you've lost everybody so basically the you know the message is currently the mobile web is failing, um, but hopefully with some effort and some new technologies, and they focus also on 
tooling and things to to improve their performance so not just those technologies but um, those were kind of their key solutions but then there's a lot of other solutions towards improving mobile web performance so progressive web apps this is another attempt to make the web uh, more like a desktop experience yeah more like a yeah like a native mobile app experience interesting i mean we've seen this tried before in many different places and yeah. i can remember back i think as far as windows 95 right yeah uh the the widget type of thing that they they tried to do or active pages or what whatever it was called you're actually able to like pin web pages to the desktop and have interactive widgets and stuff like that and uh i think that might have been a little more of a thing that happened before its time why it failed um yeah um you know i think i'm old enough to remember all that stuff too and i remember when there was you know articles arguing that desktop apps were were dead because the web was everything was just going to be moved to the web the web was the application platform of the future and well here we are however many years later and obviously desktop apps are not dead and and so much so that web developers have things like electron so that they can build desktop apps with web technologies right so um but there's i think a lot of things have moved to the web and i think that that's kind of the case going forward is that i mean i've seen arguments that that mobile the the mobile app ecosystem like the native app app store ecosystem is dying or is dead or whatever there've been arguments of these lately um and uh and i, di I disagree i think there's a place obviously for both things i think we may move some things that didn't ever make really make sense as native apps in the first place but because of issues of performance and other things you ended up making a native app anyway um, we may move those to things like other solutions on the mobile web if, if progressive web apps or whatever you know uh, ends up kind of becoming a, a cross-platform solution um, but but uh, you know it's not going to replace apps yeah, for myself, I use mainly web applications unless uh, I need an application that's going to do some type of creative work. So talking about uh, things like editing audio for the podcast or creating photos in Photoshop or, you know, uh, creating um, illustrations for articles in Photoshop and uh, creating, you know, big presentations uh, mm -hmm. using PowerPoint, which you can do online, but the the web version of that's just not not the same. Uh, people do enjoy some of the other ones like Keynote and uh, Prezi and some of the online presentation tools. But for the most part, you know, I use a couple uh, desktop apps for that type of thing. But most other stuff, I use a web app. You know, banking and uh, even recording the podcast, we're doing that over the web. So, yeah, it's a it's a tough uh, tough atmosphere for people that are looking to develop a desktop application. There's there's a lot of use cases where it's being done in the web and being done well. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. I mean, if I but if I look at you know, 
I, every day I use the Slack desktop app. I use, you know, Visual Studio Code. Is it, is it, you know, it's built with web technologies, but desktop app, Macdown for Markdown. I use, you know, I occasionally have to hop into Office, Photoshop, and, you know. So it's not a short list. I, looking back to when, you know, years ago, it probably would have had, I probably would have had, you know, tens of, you know, of, of desktop apps that I might have open on a regular basis and now I might have only like 10 but um, it still it doesn't it hasn't replaced it right there's still a need for these things like yeah. Photoshop don't make sense as a web app truly at, at least not today um, yeah so. I heard I heard you say a lot of creative tools as well but that may just be because we do similar things so <laughs> yeah could be yeah, I wonder, you know, I, I need to take a look at things that, you know, the kids are using really and get an idea of what kind of apps they actually use. Um, I know gaming's another big one. You know, uh, Minecraft is yeah. a, an app that my daughter runs all the time. Uh, so you can do gaming in the cloud and, and on the web, but it just hasn't reached the point where it's practical for everything yet. Right. All right, so let's get let's talk about a couple articles that we put in the newsletter this week. Uh, we picked some uh, we picked some articles that we'd like to kind of elaborate more on and give our own opinions. Uh, there's a whole lot of good reads in there, but we just picked three to go over, uh, so we could go over them in detail on the show here and uh, kind of give our thoughts on these these topics. So let's start off with the first one, and that is what's new and what's changed in Bootstrap 4. So Bootstrap 4, uh, this is still in its early phases, but uh, there's still a lot of talk about there. So one of the major changes that I saw was the availability of Flexbox. So there is a Flexbox grid inside of Bootstrap 4 um, if you're looking to start using Flexbox versus the classic like float layout. So I've never used Flexbox myself. Um, it was always uh, something that I, I stayed away from because I was worried about compatibility. Uh, mm -hmm. But I, I just checked uh, a moment ago and on uh, can I use, um, is it can I use.com? Yeah, it is. Yeah, can I use.com. And it looks like Flexbox is pretty much available across the board now. The only one that has some reservations is IE11. And that has um, some kind of uh, older syntax that you need to use to make it compatible with IE11. But Edge, Firefox, Chrome, Safari, the major ones look like they're all supporting it. So mm -hmm. it may be time to give that, that guy a shot. Yeah, and so I'm curious because you've always been more of a foundation fan. Um, is is there anything, at least in terms of what you read about in Bootstrap 4, that makes you think, well, I might check it out? Um, I'd be interested in checking out uh, Bootstrap 4 when it's completed. It still looks like it's in early beta, which it's been in for quite a while, which that kind of concerns me a bit. But uh, Bootstrap is one of the more popular, if not the most popular, CSS framework out there right now. Yeah. Uh, and, so, and as to, to be, yeah, sorry, go, go, 
I was going to say, to be clear, it's been in early beta for a long time, but they keep releasing updates to the beta. So it's been in beta, but it's not like it's been sitting in beta. They've released like five um, beta versions. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's being worked on. Um, they've got a big feature list that's available on GitHub. And uh, we have a link to that in the article as well at the end. Uh, so you can see where they're at in the progress. So it's very well laid out. Um, so there's no no question on what they're going to build into it and uh, how far along they are. Um, but they have a lot of work ahead of them still. Um, when it gets closer to release, I'd, I'd take a serious look at it. And um, I'll probably tinker with it a little bit just to see how some of the new uh, SAS variables work because that was another big change is they converted from CSS to SAS. Mm-hmm. Or uh, less, I'm sorry, less to SAS in this version officially. Um, actually, they officially support it in Bootstrap 3. Yep. Uh, however, they start with less, I think, and then they do like a conversion to SAS. Uh, where this is built SAS first and only this f- at this point, um, and and that's another good comparison to Bootstrap as well, or sorry Foundation as well because you mentioned that earlier. So Foundation uses SAS out of the box, and they also have a version out that supports Flexbox. So those two um, frameworks are in parity, except Bootstrap is is ahead a little bit where they're in a full release cycle. Uh, versus being in a beta stage. Bootstrap is or Foundation? Uh, foundation is. Foundation 6 has been out for some time now, a couple months or, or more. Um, yeah. And they're supporting Flexbox and SAS. So hmm. uh, that's also another great framework worth looking at. Um, if I was to build a website today, I'd probably still go back to my good old Foundation and uh, pull that guy in. But... Uh, Bootstrap, again, very popular, so we had a a great read on what's going on in that space and some of the updates that are coming uh, with that major release. Yep. So next up, we we were going to talk about uh, building Angular 2 web apps, web and native apps from a single code base. So this is an article that was written by Jen Looper, and uh, she's talking about uh, building a web app that has it shares code with a native application using native script. Is that right? Right. So it's actually it's based on a project um, by it's kind of iterated a number of times, but the 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 basis of her work here is off a project by Nathan Walker. Um, so. It, it's essentially it's a it's a seed that you can b- use to build your your app, and it kind of gives you some conventions and organization to allow you to share code between a you know native app being built with native script, a web app, um, obviously still Angular two web app, and in fact it actually has um, the seed for creating a desktop app with Electron, all sharing code. Now, keep in mind the UI code cannot really be shared, particularly between the you know native NativeScript app and the uh, web app, because the you know, NativeScript has native UI, web has web UI. But you can share the the rest of the code, and it's designed to make it easy to do that. 
Yeah, it's um, it's interesting to see that we've come far enough with these types of frameworks that we can actually share uh, parts of the code base like this between a, a web app and a native mobile application. I kind of emphasize native there because we're used to seeing things like you know sharing some some markup and whatnot between a hybrid application and a web app. Right. So that's that's not so much of a stretch, but this is this is quite different. I mean, this is being compiled down to a native iOS and Android application, which is very impressive. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I would I would caution that it's still in early stages for this particular seed, and and it takes a, a bit of configuration and stuff. Um, but you know, if you are building, particularly if you're building all three, but even if all you want is a web app and uh, you know a native app and you're using angular 2 this kind of makes sense to at least explore this approach because then you know you end up you end up not having to do certain things twice even if you have to kind of work around some of the configuration and stuff right now but um, but you end up not having to rewrite the code multiple times you just have you share the same code um, rework the UI as needed and and uh, save yourself a lot of time in the long, and maintenance in the long run. Now, is this something that's up on GitHub, you said, that yeah. uh, people can go check out? And yeah, so, you know, it's, it's as I said, she based her work off of um, uh, something called the Angular 2 Advanced Seed by Nathan Walker, um, which was itself based on somebody else's, like, a Angular 2 Seed. Um, and then she actually forked that into something kind of a little bit sim more simplified. Um, so there's actually a number of projects out there, but if you read the article, it makes it clear which one is the one, you know, you should check out. Yeah. So if you're interested in Angular 2 and uh, also you're interested in, in sharing your, your code base across uh, web and uh, native application, or you just want to check out how cool this thing is, you know, go to developer.telerk.com and look for building Angular 2 web and native apps from a single code base. And we have links in there to the GitHub where you can download it and try it out and hack at these things. Um, and there, there's nothing in here that requires any kind of purchase or anything. I mean, this is no. all open source tech we're talking about. So give that a shot. Uh, tinker with it. Let us know what you think. Drop us drop us a line on um, on developer.telerk.com in the comments on that article, or uh, hit us up on Twitter, and uh, we'll be happy to hear your feedback on that. So next in the pipeline here is an article about Google. They have released .NET APIs for the Google Cloud. So. Google has APIs now that plug into the .NET framework and let you talk to their Google Cloud services. So this is really interesting to me because uh, Google hasn't really been that Microsoft-friendly, in my opinion, in the past. So it's nice to see them actually try to provide some APIs into the .NET space. Um, mm -hmm. I know back in the early Windows Phone days, these these two uh, didn't quite get along. There was a lot of fighting over <laughs> the mobile platform. 
Yeah. Uh, where they, they were actually blocking APIs from developers trying to create apps for the win the Windows phones. Uh, so it looks like they're they're finally allowing .NET developers in to uh, work on the Google Cloud. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of collaboration going on between Google and Microsoft. Um, you know, for instance, if you recall, I said that only one speaker at this event was not from Google, and he was from Microsoft. So, uh, you know, I thought it was it was interesting that. You know, they have here. They have a, a Google Run event uh, for web developers, and and the the one Google, the one non Google speaker is is the I think he was the PM for Edge. So uh, it's you know it's there's definitely a lot more collaboration going on there. Yeah, and uh, it'd be interesting to see if they may have done this a little too late. Um, you know, Microsoft is the one that created Azure. So yeah. naturally, uh, you know, without, without thinking too hard about this, you're going to know that the experience for writing uh, apps using Azure APIs is probably going to be a little more seamless with Visual Studio than uh, using Google's APIs. So it'll be interesting to see if, if they may have sat on this a little too long and if there's still room for them to have, uh, you know, the uh, the uptake from developers on this, which yeah. I think there will be. Um, in my opinion, I think they have um, they have some uh, ground they could possibly gain on this, and not so much as to uh, unseat Azure, maybe, but uh, to work in tandem with um, with an app. So you see a lot of applications where the user has to choose, you know, where, where do I want to store my photos, right? Mm -hmm. Do I want to put them in Dropbox? Do I want them in OneDrive? Do I want them in my Google Drive? Uh, so I can see a lot of that type of stuff happening. Um, and then there's also APIs in there that uh, look like they're of the machine learning type. So mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see what people create with these. And um, if you want to find those uh, APIs, you can... Uh, read about those uh, in our newsletter at uh, developer.telerk.com. And you can also search for the APIs on NuGet. So these are NuGet packages. There was, uh, looked like over a dozen of them up on NuGet.org. So you can just search for Google on there and, and you'll see those show up. They're actually yeah. published by Google. Yeah, it looks like they even have a, a Visual Studio extension for this stuff. Excellent. So I would just want to remind folks um, before I go here to subscribe for the show on iTunes. If you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends. Uh, we could use some more listeners. We're trying to ramp this thing up and get better content and uh, more quality interviews uh, for the folks that love the show and are listening each month. Uh, so please share it, like it up on iTunes uh, or SoundCloud. Uh, leave us feedback at developer.telerk.com, or you can hit me on Twitter at Ed Charbonneau. Uh, you can find my name and link in the show notes. And uh, also want to remind everybody that uh, Telerik is doing, or sorry, Progress uh, is doing <laughs> a uh, webinar um, called the My sixty three uh, My three sixty Guide. Well, this is a mouthful. This is. Uh, 
I, I didn't invent this title, so please don't shoot the messenger here. But uh, we're doing a webinar uh, called My 360-Degree Guide to ASP.NET Core Top Questions Answered. So That is a it, lot. That's that a is, big that is one. really long, yeah. Yeah, we're getting good at naming things around here. We're we're headed down the uh, the classic Microsoft path where it's uh, you know Windows XP professional live essentials. <laughs> yeah, we're we're getting good at this. Well, we're proud. yeah. Now then, we just need to work on and you call it saying progress instead. Of yeah, yeah. It, I think we things. all need to do that. Like they're going to send us to electroshock <laughs> therapy every time you say tell her. Ah! Nope, We're gonna sorry. get uh, progress branded <laughs> shock collars in the mail tomorrow. <laughs> so the the 360 guide to ASP.NET Core. This is Sam Basu, uh, Shane Boyer, and myself. We're talking all about ASP.NET Core um, and all the new stuff that's happening in that space. So we're talking uh, what's what's happening in the next version. Um, how to get started building an app with ASP.NET Core and Angular 2, and uh, much, much more like cross-platform stuff and the whole nine yards. So, Well, it is 360 degrees. It's got to be. It's full circle. We're, yeah, we're, yeah. We're going all the way back to active server pages on this one. <laughs> <laughs> you you got to get the... It's, it's 360 degrees and top questions. I mean, you can't get more comprehensive than that. Yeah, it'll be a good show. Uh, so that'll be Tuesday, November 29th at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Um, to sign up for the webinar, visit uh, telerk.com or uh, watch our Twitter feeds at uh, Ed Charbonneau or Sam Basu. Uh, Sam is S-A-M-I-D-I-P on Twitter, and uh, you can find the sign-up page there as well. So I'll also link that in the show notes for this show. And with that said, Brian, uh, thanks a lot for being on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Take care. We'll see you guys soon. We'll have some interviews coming up shortly. And uh, this has been another Developer Digest show. 